Deuteronomy chapter 22 verse 1 Thou shalt not see thy brother's ox or his sheep driven away, and hide thyself from them. Thou shalt surely bring them back unto thy brother. When Cain asked God, Am I my brother's keeper? The answer is absolutely yes. If your brother loses property and you have knowledge of it, you are responsible for getting that property returned or taking care of it until your neighbor comes to retrieve it. So if you see somebody drop a wallet or drop money out of their pocket, you are responsible in God's law for alerting them and giving it back to them, chasing them down, making sure they get their money back. Or if anything else that belongs to them is in danger of them losing it and you can make a difference, you have to make a difference. That's God's law. 2. And if thy brother be not nigh unto thee, and thou know him not, then thou shalt bring it home to thy house, and it shall be with thee until thy brother require it, and thou shalt restore it to him. You either have to take the ox back to your neighbor's house, or you have to house it and feed it and care for it until the neighbor returns. Now it says brother, but all the Israelites are brothers. And in the family of God, we're all sisters and brothers. And in the family of humanity, we're all sisters and brothers. This is definitely not excluding anybody who you're not related to. 3. So thou shalt do with his ass, and so shalt thou do with his garment, and so shalt thou do with every lost thing of thy brothers, which he hath lost, and thou hast found. Thou mayest not hide thyself. It's saying hide thyself, meaning pretending that you don't know, turning a blind eye. God is watching. If you have the power to get it returned to them, you have to. Now, sometimes we don't know who the owner is, so we put it in a lost and found area. But if we know who the owner is, we're responsible for making sure the owner gets it back. You have to feed that animal and care for it and house it, water it, do everything that you would do for your own animal. You can't let it stay with you and let it starve to death like a lot of people would do. And then when the person finally shows up, it's completely starved. That's evil, and God does not allow that. 4. Thou shalt not see thy brother's ass or his ox fallen down by the way, and hide thyself from them. Thou shalt surely help him to lift them up again. If the neighbor's animal falls in a ditch or in a steep valley or over a cliff and needs to be rescued, you are obligated to help your neighbor rescue the animal. And knowing God and knowing his law, if your neighbor is on vacation, you're obligated to get your own help with other neighbors to pull the animal out. 5. A woman shall not wear that which pertaineth unto a man, neither shall a man put on a woman's garment, for whosoever doeth these things is an abomination unto the Lord thy God. And this means no cross-dressing, no transvestite, no cross-dressers are allowed. And this is because it's a perversion of what God created. He created a man to be a man and a woman to be a woman because he commands us to be fruitful and multiply. Now that doesn't mean that it's a sin if you're single and you don't have kids. Many Bible heroes were virgins and didn't have children like Daniel, Jeremiah, John the Baptist, Jesus himself, the Apostle Paul. All of them were virgins. And then there's other people in the Bible who remained celibate for extended periods of time. Anna the prophetess and the prophet Ezekiel. However, we're commanded to be fruitful and multiply. So that's why he made male and female. 
Satan wants to mock that and turn us into morph creatures that don't have a sex. He wants us to cross over and transition into nothingness. And Satan does not want us to reproduce. Satan does not want more people in heaven, but God does. Satan has been fighting reproduction for a very long time. He fought it with birth control, abortion, and now the new eugenics, which is taking people's sexual organs away because you've brainwashed them into believing that they shouldn't be the gender that they are. First, you brainwash the person, get them to sign on the dotted line that they want to have a sex change. And once they've had the sex change, they can't reproduce anymore. So it's the new eugenics. And it's Satan's way of preventing more people from being born so that they can go to heaven. Because he doesn't want a lot of people in heaven. God wants heaven chock full. Satan wants heaven empty. And that's the motivation behind all of this, getting people to not reproduce. Getting back to the verse, a lot of people totally get this wrong because they say that since a woman can't wear a man's clothing, therefore women can never wear pants. Well, that doesn't make any sense because Jesus wore a dress and all the apostles wore dresses. See, this is the deal. Back then they knew what women's clothing was and what men's clothing was. And today we still do. There are women's dresses and there are men's dresses because Catholic priests wear dresses. Jesus himself wore a type of dress. It was called a tunic. Middle Eastern men wear dresses that are also called tunics and robes. There is male clothing that looks like dresses, but then there's female clothing that looks like dresses too. So in ancient times, the woman's garment was completely different than the men's garment, even though both to us today, we would say, hey, they're both wearing robes. And so did the Greeks. The Greeks all wore robes, male and female, but it was a different design, a different style, a different cut, a different measure. They knew the difference between male and female clothing, even though all of them were wearing robes, tunics, including Jesus. But his robe and his tunic were nothing like what his sisters wore. And yes, Jesus had sisters because Joseph and Mary had children together. Today, a woman can wear woman's pants, but she can't wear a man's pants. And I have seen women dressed in men's clothing where they have men's shirts and men's pants on and men's shoes and men's hats and the whole thing. And that is cross-dressing. That's a sin. But it's not a sin if you wear a woman's pants or a woman's tunic or even a woman's jeans, as long as it's modest and they're not tight. I'm against tight jeans, which most of them are, but you can find loose-cut jeans. You can wear anything that's for a woman if you're a woman, and anything that's for a man if you're a man. This isn't about dresses and pants, because in ancient times, Jesus wore a dress. we got to remember that. Today, if a man is wearing a dress because he's a Middle Eastern man, then there's nothing wrong with it because it is men's clothing. The whole deal is, is it made for women or is it made for men? Six, if a bird's nest chance to be before thee in the way, in any tree or on the ground, with young ones or eggs, and the dam, which is the mother, sitting upon the young or upon the eggs, thou shalt not take the dam with the young. Seven, thou shalt in any wise let the dam go, but the young thou mayest take unto thyself, that it may be well with thee, and that thou mayest prolong thy days. God loves all of his creatures, including the cows, including the birds, everything. So a lot of his laws pertain to how to treat his creatures. And this is one of the many examples of how not to be cruel to animals. If you take the mother, the mother can never lay eggs again. If you only take her eggs she can lay another batch of eggs. 
and she can still have a long life and have lots of children. Just taking one batch of eggs isn't going to hurt nature in general, and then you get nourishment from it. But it would be evil if you took the mother and the eggs. She's in a vulnerable position because she doesn't want to leave her nest. For whatever reason, her nest has fallen So now she's vulnerable to attack. And if you take advantage of that, that's cruelty and it's perverted in God's eyes. Because remember, God made the animals afraid of us after they left the ark so that we wouldn't be able to easily kill, that we would have to work to kill them, which is right and just. But because her nest fell, she was forced to sit on the eggs on the ground and make herself vulnerable. And that's not her fault. And it isn't God's will for her to be vulnerable. So you have to let her go. And it even says to prolong thy days, which means if you are fair and just with the animals, you will live a longer life. I'm not against hunters. If they eat the meat, there's nothing wrong with that. But there's a lot of hunters who are not fair, just, and honorable, and compassionate toward animals. And that is evil in the eyes of the Lord. 8. When thou buildest a new house, then thou shalt make a parapet for thy roof, that thou bring not blood upon thy house, if any man fall from thence. So a parapet is an extension off the roof so that if somebody's on the roof sleeping, because in the ancient times they like to sleep on the roof, or if somebody's working on the roof, or they're up there laying fruit to dry, you are guilty of their death if they fall because you didn't make a parapet to catch them. Now today, since they have a harness and all that, we don't have to worry about that. 9. Thou shalt not sow thy vineyard with two kinds of seed, lest the fullness of the seed which thou hast sown be forfeited together with the increase of the vineyard. He doesn't want seed to mingle. This is something that God is very serious about in all of his law. Remember, he had told them earlier, they're not even allowed to mix wool with cotton and wear that as a garment. So all of our garments today that are mixed materials, God does not like that. Now, we don't have a choice because when we go to the store, that's all that they offer us. God isn't condemning us if we don't have a choice. But he hates it when things that he created are mixed because then each thing loses its value for what it was created to be. He doesn't like morphine creation, which is what scientists are doing now. They're taking genes and morphine genes together, animal and human. The genetics industry is witchcraft. It's completely against God's law. So he says if you have an olive vineyard, it's only for olives, not for anything else, because he doesn't want it to morph. 10. Thou shalt not plow with an ox, and an ass together, because this is cruelty to animals. If you put two animals that are not the same size on the same yoke, the bigger animal will end up doing more of the work, but it will be uncomfortable and ruin the back of both animals. And it could cause hoof problems, joint problems. It could prevent them from eating properly while they're working because they're not the same weight, not the same height. They don't have the same shoulder width. 11. Thou shalt not wear a mingled stuff, wool and linen together. And if we actually dressed this way, our clothes would last a lot longer and we'd be a lot more comfortable. 12. Thou shalt make thee twisted cords upon the four corners of thy covering, wherewith thou coverest thyself. Now that's talking about your outer robe, which they used as a coat. Because your outer robe would be a rectangular shaped material, and then you would wrap it around yourself to stay warm at night. But on each corner of that rectangle, he wants twisted cords. 
And this seems to be to identify them as Israelites, because only the Israelites put fringes on their clothes. The high priest had to have fringes at the bottom of his garment. The pomegranates alternated with the cords of blue to remind them that God is holy. The general Israelites also had to have fringe to remind them that they're Israelites and they're children of God. 13. If any man take a wife and go in unto her and hate her. 14. And lay wanton charges against her and bring up an evil name upon her and say, I took this woman and when I came nigh to her, I found not in her the tokens of virginity. Now, why would this happen? A man might take a woman and then decide after he sleeps with her, she's not really my type. Then he would tell a lie because telling a lie that she wasn't a virgin is the only way to get a legal divorce. His motivation is that he wants a legal divorce, but divorce was not allowed unless the woman had committed fornication, which is sleeping with somebody else before she got married. So the man would lie and say, when I married her, she wasn't a virgin. 15. Then shall the father of the damsel and her mother take and bring forth the tokens of the damsel's virginity unto the elders of the city in the gate. What would happen to protect the girl is after her wedding night, she would take the bloody sheets that prove that she was a virgin and not wash them. She would deliver them to her father and mother's house. And then they would keep them and they wouldn't wash them either. That way, if the husband tried to tell a lie and claim she wasn't a virgin, now they have the proof that she was. 16. And the damsel's father shall say unto the elders, I gave my daughter unto this man to wife, and he hateth her. 17. And lo, he hath laid wanton charges, saying, I found not in thy daughter the tokens of virginity, and yet these are the tokens of my daughter's virginity, and they shall spread the garment before the elders of the city. 18. And the elders of that city shall take the man and chastise him. So now that guy is in trouble for telling a lie and for trying to dishonor one of the virgins of Israel. 19. And they shall fine him a hundred shekels of silver. That is, that's a steep fine. And give them unto the father of the damsel, because he hath brought up an evil name upon a virgin of Israel, and she shall be his wife. He may not put her away all his days, which means for the rest of his life, he cannot divorce her, even if she does turn out to be a horrible person later on. He's committed to her for life. But it's so righteous of God to do that because he tried to he tried to ruin her and her family's name and throw her out. So he deserves to not be able to ever divorce her. 20. But if this thing be true, that the tokens of virginity were not found in the damsel, so say there is no evidence of her being a virgin. And the parents would probably already know this before she got married. 21. Then they shall bring out the damsel to the door of her father's house, and the men of her city shall stone her with stones that she die, because she hath wrought a wanton deed in Israel, to play the harlot in her father's house. So shalt thou put away the evil from the midst of thee. 22. If a man be found lying with a woman married to a husband, so they're committing adultery, then they shall both of them die, the man that lay with the woman and the woman, so shalt thou put away the evil from Israel. So if two people are caught in the act of adultery, then they're both stoned to death. In the New Testament, they violated this law when they brought the woman to Jesus and said, what should we do with her? They said, we caught her in the act. They literally said that. Now, you can't catch a woman in the act of adultery unless the man is there with her. But they didn't bring the man. They only brought the woman. So they were violating the law because they knew who the man was, and they didn't bring him to stone him. And they brought her to Jesus and said, what should we do with her? And they were trying to trick Jesus 
because they were trying to get Jesus to tell them to violate the law. But when he told them basically not to stone her, he wasn't violating the law because they're the ones who had broken it. You know how it said Jesus stooped down and wrote in the sand? He was writing the law in the sand. This law, that if a woman is caught in adultery in the act, both she and the man have to be stoned. Then he stood up and said, The one of you who is without sin, let that person cast the first stone. And they all dropped their stones and left. And it's because all of them knew that Jesus knew that they had sinned because they left the man alive and they didn't bring him to Jesus. They had no right to stone the woman. There's only three times in the Bible where the finger of God writes. One of them was when Jesus wrote in the sand. The other one was when God wrote the Ten Commandments on the tablets, and in both cases, God was writing the law. The third one was when God proclaimed judgment over a wicked kingdom of Babylon, and he wrote on the wall that Babylon had been judged. That was kind of like carrying out the law, because he wrote the judgment. It's always law-related when God writes with his finger. 24. Then ye shall bring them both out unto the gate of that city, Remember, they have to be killed outside the city because you don't want to defile the city. And ye shall stone them with stones that they die, the damsel, because she cried not being in the city. That means that she wasn't raped because she didn't cry for help. And the man, because he hath humbled his neighbor's wife, so thou shalt put away the evil from the midst of thee. 25. But if the man find the damsel that is betrothed in the field, like out in the open, and the man take hold of her and lie with her, then the man only that lay with her shall die. Because it was obviously rape. Because he took her when she was away from protection and too far away to cry for help. See how God is so just and so kind and merciful. He doesn't tell the woman, oh, you got to prove it was rape, like we do today. We take the victim to court and we're like, if you can't prove it wasn't rape, then it wasn't. No, God is so good. He's like, if this guy had sex with her out in the field, it had to be rape because he deliberately did it in a place where no one would know and she couldn't cry for help. That alone proves it's rape, the fact that he did it out there. Because if it wasn't rape, he would have taken her home. See how God's thinking is so different from ours? The victim doesn't have to prove anything because the actions of the abuser have already proven that the abuser is guilty. 26. But unto the damsel thou shalt do nothing. There is in the damsel no sin worthy of death. For as when a man riseth against his neighbor and slayeth him, even so is this matter. God is saying, murder is equated with rape. 27. For he found her in the field, the betrothed damsel cried, and there was none to save her. Now it's assumed that she cried because it happened out in the field. 28. If a man find a damsel that is a virgin that is not betrothed, and lay hold on her, and lie with her, and they be found. 29. Then the man that lay with her shall give unto the damsel's father fifty shekels of silver, and she shall be his wife, because he hath humbled her. He may not put her away all his days. In the first case, the woman was engaged to somebody else, and got raped. So now the man who raped her is put to death, so that her marriage bed is not defiled. But in this case, the woman is not engaged to anyone else. She's free to marry. So in this case, the just thing to do is to marry her. 
because that way she doesn't lose her reputation. Even though it was rape, his just punishment is that he has to marry her because he wanted her for free. But now he has to marry her and pay that dowry of 50 shekels. Now, why is it 50 shekels instead of 100? Because if the man tried to destroy his wife's name and divorce her and call her a prostitute and shame her family, he had to pay 100 shekels. But now if he rapes a virgin, now he has to marry her and only pay 50 shekels. That's because it's less damage done. Because in this case, the virgin who is now going to get married will not be shamed in the community. But in the other case, it was going to cause tremendous shame and cause her to not be able to get married again. That's why the fine was steeper. In our society, we would say, but the woman would never want to marry a man who raped her. She would be miserable her whole life, and this would be like a prison sentence. But that's because we're not as practical as people who lived back then. We're emotion-driven. Our society has brainwashed us into making all decisions based on emotions. But back there in ancient times, they were way more practical they knew that what's best in the long run is to be married and have more kids and have an honorable status in the community, not to go home and feel sorry for yourself and be a victim for the rest of your life. Back in this time, they didn't believe in victimhood as a lifelong status like we do today. The woman would feel justified by the man marrying her. Then she would have no shame. It was a totally different culture and, in my opinion, a more sane culture. And that concludes Deuteronomy chapter 22.